Hello and welcome to Film Festival Reviews, a place where independent filmmakers and film lovers stop by and listen in on what's happening on the indie film festival circuit. This is Christina Kotlar, your host, and I'm still riding high on what went on at Sundance. I've caught up on one podcast, updated my website at www.filmfestivalreviews.com, sent in my film recommendations for a film festival going on in September, still finishing up an article for a local publication, and getting this podcast together with a conversation with Melissa Leo, one of the main characters in Frozen River, written and directed by Courtney Hunt. While for most it might be a disappointment not winning a prize or not being picked up by a distributor, it should be an accomplishment to be part of the setting in the mountains where somewhat mystical energies really make things happen and sometimes the dreams really do come true. So I found Melissa Leo fiercely independent in her own habitat on the East Coast in back roads carving through the foothills of the Catskill Mountains. It wasn't cold that day I came by, but snow still remains crusty in some spots, but mostly softening in the late afternoon rays, my favorite time of the day. Here we are, taking the time to come from a character she created a while back, Faye Howard, from Homicide Life on the Street. It was one of my favorite shows. Such great writing was going on at that time. I loved it. And anyway, it's a long way from there to where she found herself on a bone-chilling set of a short film called Frozen River that ultimately became the feature of the same name and winning the dramatic competition prize at Sundance Film Festival just over a week ago. So take a little time out and listen in. Enjoy the show. So Melissa, did you have a great time at Sundance Film Festival? Did I have a great time? Um, I had like, I keep describing it like a fairy tale come true kind of thing. Um, on Saturday night at the big awards party, oh, you were on your way over there, as a matter of fact. And I was. I got out of there like in a half hour or something. It felt so personal to me. I mean, really like a little girl's dreams come true. The whole way the whole week unfolded that Frozen River had gone in very quietly. I know. We, I saw you at Woodstock Film Festival. Mm. That's how we were introduced by Maria, Maria Blaski. Mm-hmm. We were at the Filmmaker mm-hmm. Lodge. And I remember seeing you, but you were busy. Yeah. You were busy talking. You know, it, it seemed like you, you were in a huddle. Something was going on. I could feel that. It yeah. was so I didn't want to go over and introduce myself to you because I recognized you and I said, I, "I'd love to talk to this woman," you know, because um, well, that's where it got started. So I saw you were busy there, but otherwise, I didn't hear about this film. Mm. So what went on with it? How did you get started with it? Well, it's more than five years ago. Uh, when 21 Grams was being released, James Seamus uh, takes a focus feature every year and brings it up to Chatham, his hometown. 
and it's a you know sneak preview screening which is chatham new york chatham new york and courtney hunt lives in chatham new york and she attends these screenings regularly she was you know she almost screened when she was at columbia is that the, the crandall the crandall theater in chatham it's that beautiful little art house you'll know the name of it better than me um, but it's a beautiful little art house, you know, one of those great old movie theaters. It is. It is the Crandall Theater. Yeah. I do know it. Yeah. And so that I lived just across the river here in the Hudson Valley, um, uh, Jim Seamus had me come over to that particular screening, and at the after party, this big blue-eyed blonde gal came up and asked if I'd read her script. And I said, sure. And it was a short with... The blonde and the native, I think the two characters were called, which is as much as it told you and very little about their backstory, but a segment that ends up in the feature film involving an infant. <laughs> um, and, oh, just gripping, wonderful role. Like, one of those roles, over the years I've gone up for things that were male roles. And then at the 11th hour, they go, oh, gosh, there's not a girl in the picture. And they change one. Homicide, Kay Howard, was originally a fellow. Her character and how she was was very informed because the first pages I had, the sides I auditioned with, were unchanged from this guy whose name was, at the time, Detective Harvey. Eventually, for <laughs> reasons, I changed Detective Howard. Um, but I read the man's lines in the audition. Women and men, especially in television, are written so differently. A woman is almost always, is it 85, 90% of the time, in media, a woman is someone's, someone's partner, someone's, this prior to homicide. It's different on TV now, and I believe Kay Howard helped change that. I think it absolutely did. I loved your character then. I was just so impressed mm. with it. I said, oh, she's a Sarge? <laughs> I said, she's Sarge? That's great. I mm. loved it. And and then you took it, and, and you made that character into who she was towards the end of the season. Mm. I, 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 I stayed I, with that <laughs> show for a long time or something, but... Yeah, no, there were a lot of people that had a happy night of television for a few years there. Um, well, I, I ended up losing the job because of the way that I played her with this premise. You know, was she gay? Was she not gay? Who? As a matter of fact, Kay Howard probably didn't sleep with anyone. Um, <laughs> she's too busy working. But there's a particular woman of a particular age, and how does she fit into that male environment? And for my money, Kay would pass most easily if she was as much like them. And that was all, the genesis of all of that was in that the character was written for a guy. So I'm handed by Courtney Hunt this script with this character who's only called the blonde. And she has that ownership of herself that is just not ordinarily found. I mean, I don't like to gripe about no women's roles and stuff. I mean, look back to the beginning of time. There's great roles for women. Guys used to play them. <laughs> We've changed that. Good thing. So I was just totally taken with it. Um, Misty Upham and I shot the short with um, Courtney on the res that it is based on, the res that borders the U.S. and Canada, Messina, New York. Unfortunately, I don't know where it goes up to Montana, but across the St. Lawrence. 
where the geography is in fact res on both sides of the two nations and then when we shot the feature four years later we did that up in, in the Catskills and I'm out of work more often than people suspect and um, I would call Courtney every three four six months they said we're making that picture right I mean once the short had been completed and it was it was brilliant genius arduous conditions and somehow she had captured it and captured this piece of a tale that made you want to know more about the tale. Now, was that done so that you could raise money for a feature? Courtney is a female director, and the only reason I mention it at all, what her gender is, is that she knew and she didn't know. I don't know if Courtney herself knows the truth any longer of the process. It was a story that burned in her, that she researched, that she got to know the people of, that she could have written 12 years of a television show on. And she honed what she needed for a short. Then she absolutely used that short to make the feature, not to sell herself as a director on a short. No, that's, yeah. Two different I, kinds I know of shorts. Right, yeah. I thought, because this was so strong, mm. this story, that if it was a short, I would say, go for, you know, the money to make that into the feature, not to prove that she can do it. Right? Exactly. Okay. And, she's, so. and she is just clever enough to have done it exactly that way. The short is a beautiful little piece of film, remarkable in many several ways. But she didn't show it to everybody. She comes from down south. It was in some small southern festival. What was, was it? What was the name? Not of because it? she didn't Resin River, and not because she didn't um, couldn't have parlayed it into more. I mean, some of it is life and circumstances and letting the wind blow you in the right direction, and some of it is canniness on her part. And um, she le- we, we all learned an enormous lot that we couldn't have shot the feature in 24 days without the short behind her. She knew what she needed to ask from her investors and what she did not need from her investors because we had already been there in this many ways. And you had an awesome producers on your team, right? You had an awesome team. The That's whole, the, the, we, we got kind of self-conscious and embarrassed at one point during the lovely 10 days out in Park City because it was such a love fest. It had to be make-believe, you know. But it was a beauty of a team, top to bottom, across the board. Even kids that were involved in the short showed up at Sundance, and it was great to see them. And they were up there on the stage with us when we got that award for the film. But it was a film that was recognized, recognized every man ever involved. Did you feel it? Did you have that intuition, that gut feeling that... This was your time. I just knew it. I live as much as I can in the present moment. And I don't know how else I could survive, and not because of these happy times like this, but because of when it's hard and not knowing what's in front of me. So I choose as much as I can to be here now. And here's what I did know, that that short, that funny little blonde handed me in Chatham five years ago was stellar, that she got it in the can, that we went up to Plattsburgh without a pot to piss in and without the days to plan it. And every day you walked home and said, Courtney said, we got it. We got it. 
with that. It was never as it often is in a shoot that day when the director's just not sure if to capture the moment that they needed. They barely had enough film to edit. Kate did an amazing, amazing job. Courtney sent me the film, which directors never do, you know, with its temp track on it. I got to see it, I got to see that what I believed we had in the can, we had in the can. And then she called me one day and said, are you doing Sundance? Didn't surprise me. I was exhilarated. I don't know what, um, you know, a very tiny little bit about who else is in my industry, what the awards and accolades are. I'm a worker. I'm a worker bee. So I stay in the moment and do what's in front of me, you know. So I did not go out there with expectations. And the film came in, as I said before, very, very quietly. I came to the screening of something else. And even before the film began, there were these hoots and hollers in the audience. And I thought, how do they know what they're about to see? <laughs> there was a um, buzz out there. Yeah. <laughs> and Frozen River had none of that. It began very quietly, 2.30 in the afternoon on the first day of the festival. And the audience loved it. And I felt the audience would love it because I brought it to my family because I had this copy over Christmas. And my family had loved it. My family's watched me work for 30 years. I've done some good work. I've gotten some nice reviews where people wish they could see more of me. Um, but this film, from my son to my brother, to my pop, to my mom, who has a little brain cancer and is not so clear with everything, got it felt the weight of it. So that's what I knew going out there. Four or five days into the festival, I was offered to jump up to a much more powerful agency, begged by William Morris to join them. I took the leap and did that. We sold the film to Sony Classics. We weren't going to make a lot of money on it, but they were going to do a real release. We get there Saturday night, and... Um, Again, I'm sort of clueless who's the, you know, I don't even know who's on the jury. I, what other films are there? I had gone through the catalog, not to see what competition was, I'm a computer. I'm a girl who was born in 1960. We weren't taught how to compete, so I choose not to. I'd rather build bridges, and competition doesn't tend to do that. But I looked to see who was there that I knew, that I'd worked with, you know, more than a dozen folks, Benjamin Gleason and Joan Rotter and That's all kinds nice of people. That's what's nice about festivals, so like, like independent films and people being out there. Also. So sweet. So competition I had no notion about. I was exhilarated because here in this very, very horrendous market, our film had sold and here's all this other hard work people had done. I know our entire team, as happy as we were, had sold. Felt a little bad for everybody else. It had been a hard year. And so we, they went through all the awards, and there went the audience award, and the directing award, and the writing award. And You're the last one. It's, you know, who, it, and, and then Tarantino does this speech that is about a film with poor people. Well, there were several films with poor people, a film of no, uh, with non actors. You know, I know Sugar had non-actors in it. I'm sure several of the others did. And and then he went on to say these incredibly nice things about somebody's film. 
And literally, like you see in the movies, open the envelopes at Frozen River, and all of us sitting in a little crowd in the audience there went, what? <laughs> Didn't quite know what to do, and managed to get up on stage. It's quite something. You know, the, the opening scene, mm -hmm. you captured that desperation. It's not that easy to do. I mean, we've all gone through that. I think every person who would see that could really put themselves in that position at some level. Mm -hmm. But some mm -hmm. kind of, you know, what choice do you have? Mm -hmm. You're at that moment and you have to make that choice. And, and just that opening. When I saw the, that. The strength of what you're talking about, of the reality that everyone has had some kind of a moment like that. Not even just poor people. People with everything. Still, everyone has had that moment when they are alone in the world, not knowing where to turn. That knowledge is probably the biggest key that, over and above, as you're suggesting, my own experience with not having being done wrong, whatever that a method actor might bring up to parlay into a scene. We shot that particular shot well into shooting. I knew Ray very well by then. Courtney and I were working beautifully together. And Reed, the cinematographer as well, it was a machine that had a balance and a tempo to it. And then that little Dickens Courtney stripped me with bare feet in the snow. And that probably informed the scene as much as anything else. <laughs> so those are actors' secrets of how the, the thing comes into being and that connection with the knowledge of the viewers will have had the experience. That is when I begin to sort of get up on my soapbox and preach the art of trauma. It's an ancient art. It's a healing art. Our little cold fire in the living room is the closest we have to the storytelling campfire that we once had. It is a necessity for human beings. When I am crying or when I'm laughing, Melissa is not. Melissa is working. The character is crying or laughing. And the character is crying or laughing because she's a character in a story who's meant to take you somewhere and do something to you. I'm very busy working. I'm not feeling. I'm making you feel. That's my job so they can have a cathartic experience and learn something about themselves. Well, <laughs> I, I absolutely did. I'm one that when I see a film, you know, I go thinking because I, I write also. Mm. And that scene that we were talking about, I almost knew it, you know what I mean, without knowing it, because everything that was going, it could have gone a different way, and I loved where she was taking me that's when I know I'm going to really like this film because I, I saw a couple of things, you know, a lot of films, you just know where you're going and sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's just beautiful, it's character all driven or whatever, it's there. all kinds of movies, it's, but it's not really a, the story, but here, anything could have happened. Okay, I know that we were supposed to talk that afternoon, but I'm glad we we're talking right now because it would have been so quick. I said, okay, you know, that's not a problem because I love the time that you're giving me right now. I thank you very much. And What's next? What's happening next with, uh, with film festivals? 
Well, now that it's sold, but are you still going to show it? Or? It's a funny, very strange relationship with this film that I'm extraordinarily close with. You know, um, uh, you mentioned the team of producers. One of the producers, Heather, Heather Ray, is somebody that I introduced to Courtney Hunt. Met her at Sundance two years before. She had the film that she worked on? She had on? Trudell, and um, I was there with actually several things that year, something at Slamdance, a couple of shorts, a very small itty-bitty part. And Stephanie Daly, I say that because I hate my dad, but, um, <laughs> oops, and a midnight screening of a film called The House is Burning, which I mentioned because I now have The House is Burning, I have a small part in it, it is probably, bar none, the most spectacular piece of filmmaking that I've ever been involved in, important, important filmmaking, um, it probably doesn't have the story that Thousand River has, and blah, blah, blah. But the weight of the film is, it must be seen in the United States, and it's not been done commercially. So I'm trying to get it out around. Anybody listening that knows of a um, film symposium outside of big cities, they're most interested in being outside of New York and L.A. to begin with, or art houses that will play the film for a weekend, for a week. Uh, fascinating piece of film produced by Jim Wenders and Peter Schwarzkopf, fellow young filmmaker that they've been backing. So that's next, trying to, you know, continue to, to promote um, Holger's film. I have two other leads in the can that have no distribution. So if people are interested in, in getting in contact and finding out about that. Are Nicole, you going to can? Am I going to can? I don't know. That's the answer about Frozen River is that Sony owns the picture now. And as I said the other day to you, they're telling me to go get dressed now which I'm sure people were making sure I got dressed because they knew I'd be on the stage, but I didn't put that together. Um. <laughs> it didn't seem like it, you know, because you were just being normal about it. It's like, yeah, they're telling no. me i got to go, and I said, okay, I know the deal. I know, I said, I'm rooting for you, but I knew it. I had that, that And there's definitely, person. there's been talk about Cannes, and there's been a talk about a lot of touring in the fall with the release of the film. And so far, so available. You've been going to film festivals. Your films have been shown in film festivals. How do you compare this to someone that knows it? You know, it's well, I'm glad I, you I give me an opportunity to say this because I've got to sing the praises of our local Woodstock Film Festival. Their tagline is fiercely independent. When they think about growth a lot, they think about having bigger things there. I remind them year after year, month after month, my good friend Marilla and her husband Laurent, fiercely independent. We need you. And they have taught me, because it doesn't really matter, it's the same thing as skiing. You get a big hill, you go to a big mountain, a little hill, a big mountain. You know where the bathroom's going to be downstairs, and the ski school's over here, and oh, I know what the lift, the lift ticket. It's pretty much all the same. Festivals are the same thing. So my being able to go into my own backyard for the last four or five years and join them at the Woodstock Film Festival and be in panels and watch the Q&As and gather information gives me a great deal of comfort going out to Sundance where I've been twice before, once um, 12 years ago and then three years ago. I've been acting, being paid to be an actor for almost 30 years. And I've been, I've had you know, some pretty big, exciting opportunities at different points. There's something about this that is so mine, so my milieu, 
was out there at Redford's magical, amazing spot. I wrote him a letter two years ago after being out there and said, he must have known what magic the land held because the festival mirrors it always. And it's full of a lot of hoorang and hoo-hahing and they make a crap hole out of that town after 10 days, but you know if I'm cleaning up again. Yeah. It's Utah. Um, it's the clean air. Yeah, it just washes <laughs> away somehow. Don't you come back and you feel so clean? My fingernails, oh my God, they look so good when I get back down. And all the snow that was falling yeah. and everything. It was beautiful, yeah. and I love the Egyptian theater. Oh, I love going there. Yeah. I love the history. The Filmmaker's Lodge. I love it. I love that wild It was very comfortable. Yes. It was a very comfortable place. I did show up there on oh, Saturday afternoon. After I was on my way over there, and I wasn't supposed to go to the... Uh, I didn't get a ticket for the, the event, the party afterwards. <laughs> the night before I was coming back, I, I had such great connections so, you know, this, this time. Mm-hmm. So I was coming back from the shuttle, and I was talking to my shuttle driver because mm-hmm. I didn't like sitting in the back. I, I said, it's okay if I sit up front. Mm-hmm. You know, we started talking. I said, oh, I'm not going to the party tomorrow. I'm like, he goes, oh, somebody left a ticket at the desk. He goes, you can have it. Oh, God. So, so Sundance. Right? It's so Sundance. So when I got to the Filmmaker Lodge, I, uh, I told the story. And this one woman sitting across from me, she was just working away on her computer. She said, you took my ticket. And she goes, I was on the bus right after you on the shuttle. And... I mentioned that again, and he said, I just gave a ticket to a lady, you know, who I just drove back, and it was me. So she looked at me, and she said, I'll buy that ticket from you. I'll... How I, much did you make? I didn't make it. I didn't, I didn't sell it. I wasn't going to sell it. I wanted to see you get the award. I wanted to get in there earlier. I knew they weren't going to let us, but I, I thought maybe I'd catch up with you. Uh-huh. But I, I said, no, I'm sorry. I can't, you know, give this. I can't sell this. I wasn't going to sell it. I almost gave it to her. But then she looked at me. She said, no, this is yours. Wow. Yes. It was very nice of her. And she had a little film that she's uh, coming out and she wants to meet people and everything. But you're not going to meet anybody at that party. It's pretty crazy. You couldn't talk to anybody. You couldn't hear anything. Mm -hmm. I think I lasted an hour. Uh, Then I went to a midnight screening. (gasps) What did you see? I saw Anvil. Were you good? Heavy metal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rock on! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was good. Because I I had to leave uh, that morning anyway, so... Oh, interesting so, woman you are. I, you know, I fly the trapeze. And clearly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I am going to keep on following you around. I know good things are going to be happening with Frozen River. I, you know, I'll, I'm going to be telling people to go see it because I, I loved it. I mm. really did. And I, and I, I, I do admire your work. I do appreciate the hard work. And I'm an independent film lover. We love you guys. Good. Yes. And now it's so, so great. Um, you know, thanks for taking the time here. You know, I'm I mean, so glad you came up. It's a wonderful place you have. I'm so glad you came up to the house. This this feels just exactly what it was supposed to be. This is mm-hmm. great, you know, and it's still light outside. Look at that. And you still have snow. Oh, yeah. We like to keep the snow up around here. I like it, too. I have a deal with them. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> for the winter. You know, we have six more weeks. Today's exactly. Groundhog's Day. Oh, yes. So happy Groundhog's Day. <laughs> I didn't even know. I said it was it was sunny this morning, so that was happy. Oh, the sun was bright hot this morning. Yeah. That's why, because it's Groundhog's Day. Yeah, mm-hmm. he needed to see his shadow. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Sunan's cool. Although I couldn't find the direction because it got cloudy, so I didn't know if I was going north or south, but I got here. You did. You got here, which is kind of miraculous. It's not easily found. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> All right. Melissa, yeah. thank you so much, and uh, we'll be talking more. Good. I look forward to talking okay, to great. you again. Thanks. Well, there it is. Melissa's been in this business a long time, but her outlook is its really inspiring, and I love her thinking about living in the present and not being overwhelmed by the past and not being afraid of what the future may hold. Maybe I'll write a letter evaluating my experience at Sundance this year, uh, describing my revisions, deliberations, decisions, and last night connections. It's nice to make these connections. Hopefully they'll remain alive and well in the here and now. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>